0: morning and turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, continue in our study of John's gospel. And the title of our message this morning is Hating Your Life. Hating Your Life. Now that doesn't sound very positive, does it? It sounds rather negative. If I wanted to preach a sermon that appeals to maybe a wide audience, I probably would should come up with a different title. Uh, hating your life is uh, pretty negative. Uh, it's not a very happy title. Uh, there, You'd say there's already enough doom and gloom in this world, so why preach a sermon about hating your life? Uh, that doesn't go along with the uh, political correctness of the day either. That doesn't go along with the self-esteem crowd uh, today. Uh, people may... Uh, uh, Not many people wonder about, how can I hate my life? It doesn't build your self-esteem, and we all know that building our self-esteem should be one of the main goals of the Christian life, right? Wrong. (laughs) I'm being a little facetious there, uh, but uh, if you couldn't tell. But here's why I think hating your life is a good title for this sermon, because Jesus said we should do it. Jesus said we should do it. And it's not something that you will fall into naturally uh, uh, without some thought or without some effort. Uh, to do it, you've got to think carefully about what it means, and we need to work at it every day. It's not uh, one of these things that you do once and then you're done. Uh, so uh, Jesus said that if I hate my life in this world, I will keep it to etern- life eternal. And so this isn't some self-help advice about how to have your best life now. It's about your eternal destiny. And so we need to be clear on what Jesus means here and how we should apply it. We should not brush aside any of the Lord's teachings, but when He repeats a message often, we really need to pay attention. And so as we come to Uh, John chapter 12 and verse 24, he gives us kind of a heads up as he begins. He says, verily, verily, that means wake up, don't miss this, think carefully about this because it's very, very important. And then he begins or proceeds to talk about himself. Uh, He is the grain of wheat that dies so that it will bear much fruit. But in that, even though Jesus is speaking about himself, he is being our example. We're to die to ourselves so that we can bear much fruit. And then he applies it directly to us in verse 25 in the form of a paradox, followed by a motivational promise as to why we should do this in verse 26. Now, Jesus taught the same truth with some slight variations in the other Gospels, and we read in our Scripture reading this morning one of those other uh, Gospel accounts of this. And let me just uh, repeat some of the verses here in Mark 8. Verse 34 says, And when he had called the people unto him, when his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of of his Father with the holy angels. You see, Jesus' words apply to everyone who wants to follow him. And he assumes that we will all... Uh, uh that we all will want to save our lives. no one wants to be lost, but he tells us the way to save our lives is to lose them for the, his sake and for the gospels and he's talking about saving or losing our lives eternally. And as the comment from uh, about in coming in glory of his father with the holy angel definitely shows us it's vitally important to understand and to apply Jesus' words. Uh, in our text, and the message is you should hate your life in this world because you want to follow Jesus, you want to serve Him, and you want to be with Him forever. Now I want you to notice with me three areas of this servant's attitude that we have here. The first is the servant's model. The servant's model. We see the servant's model in Jesus Himself, who laid down His life on the cross and He bore much fruit. Jesus said in verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Jesus was referring uh, to the cross. He is the grain of wheat that fell into the ground and died and bore much fruit. And by giving his life as a ransom for many, Jesus brought many sons unto glory. He bore much fruit, and He's still bearing much fruit. Now, we can never imitate Jesus in His substitutionary death. He's not calling for us to go to the cross and to die. He did that for us. His death was unique because Jesus is unique. He is the only God-man. He is the eternal Word made flesh who came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, and only Jesus can do that. But in another sense, his death was an example for us all. During his short ministry on earth, Jesus was constantly dying to himself as he loved others. Uh, We see a graphic example of that in John chapter 13, where Jesus is going to take a towel and a basin of water to wash the disciples' feet. We'll get to that uh, in another message in the future, the Lord willing. But that was a job of a servant. Uh, Jesus did it as an example of how we are to lay our, aside our lives to serve one another. Now the culmination of Jesus dying to himself was that he literally laid down his life on the cross for us, and that's how he bore much fruit. When we follow him by daily dying to ourselves or to others, we will bear much fruit and so prove ourselves to be his disciples. Jesus applies his example to us here in verse 25. In verse 25 he says, he that, uh, he that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. And so we have not only the servant's model, but we have the servant's mandate. Secondly, the servant's Mandate is here in verse 25. To follow Jesus, you must hate, not love, your life in this world. Now, in the Greek text, the first two words translated life, uh, are the, are the words, uh, uh, suke, which we get the word psyche, uh, which is actually translated soul. Uh, then the last word, life, though, the, there's, it appears here, Three times. The first two, uh, it's translated soul. And then the second, uh, or it means soul, the last life means uh, is from the Greek zoe, which means uh, it's talking about eternal life that God gives. Now, Jesus assumes that we all want to keep our souls, that is, our lives, to life eternal. Uh, Even people who are not saved... Uh, who uh, they they don't want to go to hell. They don't want to die. I mean, I know some people claim, "Oh, I'm going to hell. I'm going to have a big party there." But that's uh, that's really just kind of a cover up for what they think uh, uh, they're going to uh, uh, experience. They don't have any actual reality to that. But most people don't want to die. Uh, most people want to have eternal life. Uh, most people would say, "I want to go to heaven." But they don't want to do what is necessary to go to heaven. And so here's one of the great paradoxes of the Bible. The way to keep life is to hate it. The way to lose it is to love it. And also, this isn't aimed at a dedicated few who, say, want to go to the mission field or they want to become martyrs for the sake of the gospel. No, this is a mandate. This is a command uh, for all who follow Jesus. All. All that follow him are in the daily process of, should be in the daily process of hating their lives in this world. They are the ones who will keep their lives eternal. So, what does it mean to love your life in this world and to hate your life in this world? Let's look at both sides of it uh, as we uh, follow Jesus, as we look at his example. First of all, you must not love your life in this world. You must not love your life in this world. I don't, There are three things about loving your life in this world. Number one is living with this life only in view. Now that's what Jesus means by in this world. It is to live as if this world is all there is. So we need to live it with all the gusto that we can now. It's to live your best life now. Is that a pretty good impression? That is the stupidest title for a book I have ever heard of. Did Jesus enjoy his best life now as he endured the hostility of sinners against him and went to the cross in his early 30s? Did Paul enjoy his best life now as he suffered beatings and imprisonments, a stoning, a shipwreck, and frequent dangers for the sake of the gospel? Did any of the martyrs enjoy their best life now as they had their heads cut off or their bodies burned at the stake? Now if that book is telling you how to live your best life now by laying it down for the sake of Jesus and the gospel then I would say amen. But it's not telling you that. That's not what that book is about. It's telling you how to have health and wealth and a comfortable lifestyle now. And then, of course, that's completely opposed to what Jesus was teaching. Now I realize I bring this to your attention often, but this is the kind of thinking that is in many minds of so-called Christians today. And it's bad thinking, it's wrong thinking, it's false teaching. Jesus told about a man who was enjoying his best life now. He said to his soul, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 19, he said, And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him in verse 20, Thou fool, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided? And Jesus concluded then in Luke 12, 21, So he that layeth up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. You see, those in the world who live as if this life is all that there is, their aim in life is to accumulate as much money and stuff. By the way, that's a Bible word, stuff. Okay, We read it this morning in in Sunday school. As they think that will make them happy. Their motto is, he who dies with the most toys wins. Or as my wife puts it, She who dies with the most fabric wins. But Jesus says they lose. Loving your life in this world not only means living with only this life in view, but also living for what the world lives for. What do people without Christ in this world live for? Well, John tells us in 1 John 2, verse 15 through 17, says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of this world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth Forever. Now, if greed and accumulating the world's stuff is a temptation for you, and don't don't say, well, it's not a temptation for me. Well, maybe you've got a hold of that. It's a temptation for me. I urge you to memorize these verses and and rehearse them in your mind if it's a temptation. Uh, Meditate upon these things. You know, the merchants of this world are bombarding us daily with the message. In order to be happy, you need this stuff I'm selling you. Buy this stuff and you'll be happy. And I'll be honest, I like a lot of that stuff they're selling. And you have to be honest with me too. And some of it does make life more comfortable. Some of it makes it easy to navigate, easier to navigate. I'm thankful for a computer. I'm thankful for the internet. Even though with all of its, its evils, I'm still thankful for it. It actually uh, makes uh, preparing my sermons uh, easier. I, ha- I, can have, I, can ha- I don't have to even go to my bookshelf for all my commentaries. I can just go onto my cu- computer and find all those commentaries and, and study notes and stuff like that. I can, uh, you know, I can even have the Bible on my computer. Uh, some of you probably have the Bible on your phone. And by the way, if you have a smartphone, it's really not a phone. As my assistant pastor tells me, it's not a phone. It's a handheld computer, and it can be used as a phone. The same can be said of many other things in this world. And we've got to be on guard, though, of loving these things and having a desire to accumulate as many of these things to ourselves as we can, like that's our only focus. If we love those things, as opposed to doing the will of God, John says, the love of the Father is not in me. And so, living with this life only in view, living for what the world lives for, and then thirdly, you must not love your life in this world because that's a sure way to lose It's the sure way to lose it. Again, in verse 25 here, it says, He that loveth his life shall lose it. That's the same thing as said there in Mark 8, 35, for whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, which is the same thing as if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. You know, uh, people have this uh, this idea that, you know, I just need to accumulate as much stuff of this world as I can. I came across a story that I think would be a good illustration for a funeral. I'm not preaching a funeral, I trust today. But uh, uh, in 1981, a man was flown into the remote Alaskan wilderness to photograph the natural beauty of the tundra. He had photo equipment, he had 500 rolls of film, several firearms, 1,400 pounds of provisions. And as the months passed, the entry uh, in his diary, which was at first very detailed, and the wonder and the fascination uh, with wildlife all around him, turned into a kind of a pathetic record of a nightmare. In August of that year, he wrote, I think I should have used more foresight in re- about arranging my departure. And I'll soon find out. You see, he had been flown in, he had made provision for all the things that he needed on his little trek through the tundra, but he made no provision for getting out. He waited, and he waited, and no one came to his rescue. In November, he died in a nameless valley by a nameless lake, 225 miles northeast of Fairbanks, Alaska, An investigation revealed that he had carefully provided for his adventure, but he had made no provision for being flown out of the area. You see, that's a bit short-sighted, isn't it? And yet, how many people live their lives without making any plans for their departure from this earth? The statistics on death are quite impressive you know for certain you're going to depart one of these days. And you know that you won't be taking your stuff with you when you go. I read about a rich guy once who buried, was buried with his Cadillac. But he's not driving it now. And it does no good to try to load up a U-Haul because you can't take it with you. So why don't more people, including the Lord's people... Think more seriously about Jesus' words, He that loveth his life shall lose it. You see, our goals, our desires, the way we spend our money, the way we spend our lives should be not focused on this life only, but loving your life in this world is a sure way to lose it. Now let's look at the flip side of that. To follow Jesus, you must hate your life in this world. And so you might ask, well, preacher, am I supposed to become a monk, take a vow of poverty, wear hooded robes, have no contact with the outside world, spend hours singing Gregorian chants? No. You say, pastor, is it wrong to enjoy life? No. So what does it mean to hate my life in this world? To hate, as it says here in verse 25, is the same thing as denying ourselves and taking up our cross daily to follow Jesus, as Luke tells us in Luke 9.23. It means that we must daily repudiate or reject a self-centered life. It means living for God's glory and for His purposes by submitting every thought, every word, every deed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It means moment by moment, seeking to love God, to love others for Jesus' sake, by saying no to my inherent selfishness and my pride. Now, two things to consider about hating your life in this world. Number one, the characteristic of all who have eternal life. It's a characteristic of all who have eternal life. We're not talking about gaining eternal life, but one who has eternal life. When Jesus says, he that hateth his life in this world shall keep unto life eternal, he's not describing how to obtain eternal life unless we understand hating our life in this world to mean denying all trust in our own good works and trusting in Christ alone for salvation. But I think rather by hating his life, Jesus is referring to the daily, lifelong process of dying to self as we live for him. That process is characteristic of all who would truly trust Christ for salvation. Now, if you're not engaged in a daily battle of fighting your own selfishness and pride, maybe you need to ask, have I truly repented of my sins? Have I truly trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord? The other thing to consider about hating your life in this world is unselfishness and love for others. Hating your life in this world is the same thing as taking up your cross daily and to follow Jesus. Many Christians think that to bear their cross means to put up with a difficult spouse. That's my cross to bear. I've got a difficult mate. I've got a difficult spouse. I can't hardly live with them, but that's my cross and I'm going to bear it. Or maybe a painful disease or malady or even arthritis or back pain. That's my cross. I've got to bear it. That's not what Jesus had in mind at all. By taking up your cross, it's not some unavoidable trial you must endure. Jesus says it is a daily activity you choose to do. Jesus' day, the cross wasn't an implement of irritate, uh, uh, the cross wasn't an implement of irritation or inconvenience or even suffering. In Jesus' day, the cross was an instrument of torturous, slow execution. Jesus' hearers knew that a man who took up his cross was for all practical purposes a dead man. A man bearing his cross gave gave up all hope and interest in the things of this world, including self-fulfillment. He knew that in a very short time, he was going to be leaving this world. He was dead to self taking up your cross or hating your life in this world is not something you achieve in an emotional moment of spiritual ecstasy or dedication even you may uh, you never arrive at a spiritual mountain type top where you can sigh with relief oh i've finally arrived no more death to self you'll never find it in this life Nor are there any shortcuts or quick fixes to this painful process. The need to hate my life and to die to self is never, never finished in this life. But it's a daily battle. It was A.T. Pearson who said, Getting rid of the self-life is like peeling an onion, layer by layer, and it's a tearful process. Jesus' death on the cross was the supreme act of love in human history, and now, well, as I said, we can't die to pay for other, other sins to the extent that we follow Jesus' example by dying to our own selfishness for the sake of others and their ultimate good. We are imitating his example of love. In other words, self, self-sacrifice for others and their highest good is the essence of biblical love. In Ephesians 5 and verse 2, Paul exhorts, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. And then later he applies it to husbands in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Love is a self-sacrificing commitment that seeks the highest good of one loved, And love is the supreme mark of a Christian, the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm a husband, and I I see a lot of Christian husbands who fail to apply this on a daily basis uh, with their wives. And so I just want to mention that for a moment here. If you're in a different role, you're not a husband this morning, or maybe you're in a different role it can apply to you, but you have to adapt the application to your situation. But I see a lot of husbands who think that being the head of their home means that being their, they're the king of their home. You know, and kings don't serve others. Kings are served by others. So we don't serve our wives. We don't ser- serve our children. We expect our wives and our kids to serve us. If we want to do something, then we do it without any thought, without any uh, thinking about how it's going to affect our families. If you want to buy a new toy, you buy it without talking to your wife about her needs. In other words, husbands who are living this way are living selfishly. They're not hating their lives in order to love others for Jesus' sake. But hating your life in this world means dying to selfishness in order to love others for Jesus' sake. Maybe by this point you're wondering, well, why would I want to die to myself and live for Christ and others? Well, that leads us to the third aspect here, the servant's motivation. The servant's motivation. If we serve Jesus and follow Him, we'll bear much fruit will be with him forever, and the Father will honor us. In verse 36, it says, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. Two brief comments here. To serve Jesus, you must follow him with the goal of bearing much fruit. Is that your goal today, to bear much fruit Jesus assumes that all people will serve Him, and all who serve Him must follow Him. And this means obeying His teachings and His commandments, of course, but in the context, it especially means follow Him by dying to self so that we might, like Jesus, bear much fruit. You know, as He would tell His disciples later on in John chapter 15, He chose them so they could bear fruit. And if the Lord has chosen you, And you're one of God's children today. Your purpose is to bear fruit. Fruit refers to all character qualities, all behavior, all service that He produces in and through us as we abide in Him. That's motivation. The goal of bearing much fruit. And then comes, if we serve Him and follow Jesus, we will have eternal life in the Father's honor. Now again, this is not something that we're doing to gain eternal life. Jesus here doesn't say that He will be with us, although that is true. Rather, He says, we will be with Him. John fourteen three says, And I, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am there ye may be also. Where I am refers to heaven. To be with Jesus in heaven throughout eternity is more than just sufficient reward for all the trials and persecutions that we may go through in this life. But on top of that, Jesus promises the Father will honor us. I'm sure that we can't imagine what that all entails. But all the honors that this world can give will pale in comparison to the honor that the Father would give us as we faithfully serve the Son. One writer said uh, that a mummy is best preserved, the best preserved thing in human history. If you want to make yourself a spiritual mummy, then try to preserve your life. Jesus says you'll die alone. And if you die to self for Jesus' sake, you'll bear much fruit. So why should we hate your life in this world? Because you want to follow Jesus. You want to be like Him. You want to serve Him. This past week, uh, a number of times I heard in the news or read articles about the uh, the 60th anniversary of the five missionaries who lost their lives trying to reach the Aka Indians. And I just want to recall uh, those famous words of the missionary martyr Jim Elliott He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And I trust that even as we read and study a passage like this, we understand this doesn't sound like the right thing to do, to hate your life. No, naturally, and the world wouldn't think that, but that's what Jesus wants us to do. He's the one who told us to do this, and this, I trust, will help us to be uh, the kind of followers of Christ that we need to be. Let's pray.